Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But if you have this passion project on the side, and maybe it's furniture making, maybe it's painting, maybe it's skydiving, what, whatever that passion is, but that's what would get the heart stirring. And someday that would lead to that freedom that we're talking about, rather than just giving it up and putting it away forever. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the grand pleasure of having Mark Stinson with me today. Mark, how are things in Idaho? Oh, it's terrific. And listen, Jerome, the pleasure is mine. I can't wait to be with you. So we were chatting a little bit before we started the recording and getting to know Mark a little bit and understanding his journey. And it's all about creativity from what I understand. So with that, Mark, let's kind of dive in and talk a little bit about life before you started out on this journey of catching your dreams. What was it like and what did you what did you have to do in order to create that life? Well, I always felt like uh, I enjoyed the creative I was in advertising, I was making commercials, I was a DJ for a while. And so this idea of, you know, creating whatever it was, a story, a song, a, you know, piece of artwork or what have you, you know, I just always enjoyed that. So as through my careers, I was able to hone that skill and apply it to maybe creative workshop facilitation, you know, helping others think more creatively uh, break down a lot of barriers. You know, you know this. So many people have dreams and creative ideas, but they have some sort of obstacle or block that keeps them from getting their work out into the world. And so I just love working with people to kind of unlock that and unleash that. Wow. So when did you first realize that like, you had a knack or a gift for this? Well, you know, I, I often wonder if it was one of these anointed gifts, you know, you were born with. People say, oh, you know, creative people, they're just born with such a, a trait. But, you know, my parents encouraged me. Uh, I was, I think, back to maybe second or third grade, and we had an art show in my garage. 
And it's like an art show in second grade. Well, you know, you do your refrigerator art. Your mom thinks it's fantastic. Uh, and we used it as a fundraiser for the, you know, uh, Jerry Lewis telethon or whatever it was back in the day. And so from then on, I always put a little extra creative, you know, sprinkle on, I don't know, science fair projects. And I remember in high school, I would dress up as a historical character if I had to give a book report on Thomas Jefferson or whatever. And of course, it was nerdy. And of course, you know, I look back and it's like, wow, that was embarrassing. But it was fun and it was creative. And I guess, you know, when I think about it, putting yourself out there creatively takes a little bit of courage <laughs> sometimes. So how did you turn that into like a career or how did you monetize it? So right out of high school, I uh, was able to get a job at an ad agency in my uh, local town. And it was like a two or three person shop. And so I did a lot. I was exposed to a lot. I also was a DJ at a local radio station. But I started realizing I really liked writing and writing the commercials, writing the ads. So I really pursued a copywriter you know, career path. And from there, it's what I have literally done my whole career. Write, do the research about writing, figure out how to publish the writing, you know, put a media plan behind the writing. And so I've, I've worked with a lot of other ad agencies. I started my own company twice. It's been fun. So most people don't know what a copywriter is. So let's break that down for the folks who are out there and they know they got to sell something, but not quite sure why it's not translating, why it's not converting on the website. What's a copywriter actually do? Yeah. So of course, you know, we might call that a, a content creator. We might call it a lot of different things, but if, if you look at a magazine and you look at the uh, any ad and you say, who wrote that one or two paragraphs, who wrote that headline? You know, who came up with that great tagline? Well, that would be the copywriter. Now, the, it's a team effort. A lot of times you're bouncing ideas along, around with a lot of other creative people. But uh, that's the copywriter's job is to create the words on the page. Now, you know, in digital media, obviously you're talking about who's creating the digital ad that you might see in the sidebar of your favorite website, you know, or who's creating those social posts that are engaging you and you want to learn more. That, that's the basic job of the copywriter is to be persuasive. That's the job. You know, it's like it's not enough to just say, wow, we have a great product, but it's a, we have a great product and you would want to buy it. <laughs> How did you find out about that? Right. Because, I mean, I don't think you could get a degree in copywriting. You know, there may be a degree now. I, I uh, came at it from more of a journalism standpoint. Uh, that's my degree. But I, I was working at an ad agency while I was getting the journalism degree. So, yeah, I, I thought someday maybe I'll be a newspaper reporter or, you know, a famous reporter. But uh, the, the ad bug just bit me and I loved advertising. Uh, so I began to read. There's a lot of books on how to write great copy. There's you know, famous historical copywriters who came up and really created the craft. And so uh, that's what I turned to. And of course, you always want to emulate successful people in your field, whatever that field is. So I looked at some of the great people and some of the great advertising copywriters that were my peers and said I would really like to rise to their level. Wow. Wow. So does writing copy mean you enjoy reading? 
Oh, I love reading. And, you know, I, I used to be such a slow reader. In fact, I was just telling my wife last night, yeah, I might have a book on my uh, nightstand and it would take me like six months to read this book because I write, I read one page at a time, fall asleep, you know. <laughs> but but once you kind of get into it, I also learned how to read a book differently. I read business books differently than I read books, you know, for pleasure or for uh, just creative stimulation. And a business book you can scan and a good business book will have, you know, it'll be organized to be read by busy people. You know, business writers know you might be reading the book over lunch, you know, and not taking weeks to try to devour this book. So, you know, it'll it'll have a good flow. But I, I love all sorts of books. Interesting. So speaking of books and being a slow reader, but you, you wrote a book, right? Yeah, I, I wrote a book. Uh, and I it's so funny because people say, how long did it take you to write the book? And it's like, well, I thought about the book for five years. You know, I worked on the book. I dabbled at it for 10 years. And then finally, how long did it take? Yeah, it took six months. You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's been very fun to take some of the lessons I've learned in my career and uh, lessons from a lot of clients, lessons from a lot of people I've had a chance to work with, and you know, distill those into uh, a book about the creative models that I like to use. Wow. All right. So, you know, I'm curious. You got to tell me about at least one of the models. Can you give me one of the creative models that's in the book? Yeah, for sure. Okay. And, you know, this is something I've found. A lot of people, again, you went back to how did you know you were creative? I guess I've always been a model maker as much as just a raw creative. You know, I, I don't know that an idea just comes out of the air for me. I always have to sit with a model, you know, and think about it and distill it and use templates and you know, uh, outlines and different things to kind of gel the idea. And so one of the models that I did create one of my first books about is called Forward Fast Branding. And if you imagine visually the forward fast button on your remote, you know, it's got the two arrows. And I, I simply created a model where each one of the points on those two triangles represents an aspect of a brand. And so if you're working with your clients or if you're working with your own personal brand or you want to launch a website, you want to launch a podcast, <laughs> you know, so you say, what are the six elements of the brand? And it starts with likability. Obviously, a brand has a great logo. But in the middle of that, uh, that arrow that's in the middle, it's the quality of the product. And so how many brands do we know? Hey, they have a great commercial. They have a great spokesperson or spokesmodel. But the brand, eh, you know, it's all right. Uh, or you say to yourself, how could they charge that much money for this thing? It's all branding. <laughs> well, so you got to have a quality product if you want to have a real brand. And of course, today, we also have to think about a quality experience. And that's the sixth uh, arrow, the sixth dot. Uh, on the forward fast model is to create an experience for the customer. So if, even if you're in a small business, you have a corner coffee shop or you have a curio shop, you know, in downtown of wherever you live and you say, I've always wanted to have a store. You say, what experience could I create for my customers that make them want to come to my store instead of get it cheaper online or instead of go to the big store, you know, big box store and get it cheaper they will pay more for a quality product and a quality experience. And so that's all the book is about. 
uh, is how to create each one of those aspects. Wow. And so is this a how-to manual or just more conceptual? You know, it's it's got its fair share of concepts, but I am a how-to person. So I, I tried to make, I love a workshop. I love getting to the whiteboard with you know, the markers and getting everybody involved. So I tried to make it a workshop in print. And that's been something that, you know, it's, it's tricky, but it's like, here's how the exercises will work. You know, here's here's you could take a page of this, open it up and say, let's do something about our brand this afternoon. And uh, the book, I think, would help. Nice. And so if listeners want to get a copy of that, how can they do that? Yeah, it's definitely on Amazon. uh, But also you can go to my website. It's Mark hyphen Stinson, S-T-I-N-S-O-N dot com. Perfect, man. Okay, and so you've got the book out. Who kind of helped up? Who showed up to help you on the journey of getting this book published and so on? You know, I, I knew I wanted to write the book. So there was a lot of internal burn. But especially when you're doing anything for the first time, you say, well, you know, I want to do it right, of course, or I literally don't know how to do it. I was talking to a friend literally yesterday who's doing her first book. And uh, she said, look, I'm stuck here. I don't, you know, there was a writing issue, but also a production issue. How do I create the pages? What program should I use? What size book should I create? Do I need to hire an illustrator? Should I, who, who could I use as an editor? You know, all these questions come up. And I, I must say, well, again, 10 years ago when I started this book, you know, the, the barriers were very high. Who's going to print a hardback book? How many copies do I have to buy? Am I going to still be storing these books in my garage? You know, because nobody bought them. <laughs> uh, but today, you know, some of these self-publishing platforms, and there's several. I, I use the Kindle Direct Publishing uh, through Amazon, but Barnes & Noble has one, and uh, some other people uh, publishing have, have these self-publishers. And it's literally print on demand. So a lot of people gave me so much advice and input on how to make this work. And I had one individual in particular who just showed me the ropes. I mean, literally, here's how to do it. And uh, she was fantastic. Nice, nice, nice. And so I assume that, you know, the words just kept flowing on the page and there were no issues or challenges with the whole thing, right? Yeah, you'd love to say that. But, you know, and again, a lot of people say they want to write a book. So I'll just share my experience if anybody uh, listening is also thinking about this. The thing that finally got me going, because, yes, I was doing it what you said. I was writing word for word, chapter by chapter. But once I gelled on a table of contents that said, what should be in this book? What am I writing towards? Yeah, so I got the table of contents down. And then I started outlining, what is this chapter all about? And what's the next chapter all about? And so it's a little bit different than trying to write a novel or a story that's, you know, got the traditional uh, narrative arc that you would think about in a, in a fiction novel. Instead, this was a content, table of contents type driven book. And it really helped uh, kind of get my thoughts organized. Okay. Okay. And so... When did you realize that you had to finish the book, right? I mean, a lot of people, there's a bunch of books that have been started, right? But uh, there's a lot of Word documents on laptops all over the world. <laughs> never actually became manuscripts. So I, I call this the red pill moment. It's a moment where you knew like 
this is the point of no return. This is going to happen. doesn't matter how painful. I'm committed to the outcome no matter what. Yeah. You know, I think uh, for the first book anyway, I set a deadline. It was our company's fifth anniversary. And I said, I got to have this book out. I mean, so there was a little bit of a deadline pressure, which, hey, look, we, we've all needed since junior high. We're not going to have this book report done unless it's due. <laughs> so, you know, it, there was a deadline. But, you know, I got to tell you, the other part that you're talking about is a confidence piece that people say, I don't want my book out because somebody will judge it, you know, or it's not as good as the other person's book, or I'm not going to be a bestseller anyway. So what's the big deal? And I just say, you know, one of the things is to overcome that confidence challenge. And if you need external, you know, stimuli to help you, great, get some friends and encouragement. But other than that, you've got to say, why did you write this book to begin with? You had a story that you wanted to share. Uh, I had an author coach of mine tell me, you know, if you just say I'm writing this book for myself, that's called a diary. That's called a journal. That's not a book. You know, and so if you just want to write for yourself, nothing wrong with that. I'm sure that's very cathartic and it would help you a lot. But if you want to write a book, it's for the world or at least the potential of the world reading it. And I just finally I said to myself, you know, I don't know if 10 people are going to read this. My mom might read it. My wife might read it. And one of my kids, one of my five kids might read it. Uh, <laughs> but to the extent that clients might benefit from it or other people might benefit from it, I'm putting it out in the world. And that's what I did. Beautiful. So there's a higher calling. It's not just about you. It's not about your story. It's about impacting or influencing the world. I love that. It's interesting. And you kind of skipped over this, but I, I want to try to pull it out if it's there. So you said a writing coach of mine. So did you actually hire a coach to help you get through the process? Well, I ended up, um, let's see. So I took some online courses uh, where, you know, you watch some videos and people give you good insights. Uh, I also took a, I think it was three day, you know, online Zoom based webinar where, you know, the, the coach uh, walked us through this process I talked about, about going to the table of contents and organizing the ideas. And then I was able to hire a, editor who turned out to be uh, more than an editor, uh, Buffy Nalen. She, she was much more than an editor. Certainly, she corrected all my misspellings and grammar mistakes, but she was actually the one who showed me the sort of Amazon direct publishing tools that says, here's how you're going to actually produce the book, get it up on the website, put a price on it, you know, track and see if anybody bought it. And, um, uh, you know, don't spend your ro royalties all in one place. <laughs> yeah, I know when those checks hit, you know, they're big, baby. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think the $27 I got was, uh, you know, good for a meal. But, it, you know, it's been fun. And like I said, the fact that the clients benefited, and I think, you know, other people can benefit from reading some of these things, and I get a chance to share the, some of the stories, uh, that's, that's that higher calling you were talking about. Without question. I think most people miss the boat with books. It's not so much the sales from the books that you're after. 
usually it's something else. And so is that similar in your business model or is it solely to sell the book? Uh, no, the, the book sales, you know, I, I was told long ago, unless you're like J.K. Rowling or uh, Dean Koontz or James Patterson, this is not how you're going to make your living. You know, <laughs> so don't don't count on paying the rent with the book sales. But uh no, instead, I, for example, I, I would do a workshop and there might be, you know, 20 people in the workshop and they say, oh, if, if we're going to be using this tool, we want to get the book. And so they might order copies of the book. And of course, they get some quantity discount from that. But no, for me to be able to say, and by now I've written five business books and I've created some creativity journals. So they're, they're blank pages, maybe with some quotations or some illustrations that just people use while they're creating their journal on a daily basis. And, and it's to have that catalog of experience documented and people go, wow, you've written five books. Yeah, I've written five books, which means you had the discipline to organize your thoughts and the, and the sort of dedication to finally get it all put together and, and publish it. So there's, there's, a lot of people call it thought leadership. You know, it makes you look like an expert if you've written a book. There, there's some of that. But I think more people say, you know, I always knew that that creativity model might be useful, but I didn't really know how to use it. So the book helped me do that. Nice. So moving them along without you actually having to be there. Exactly. So would you be willing to share two, maybe three of the smaller challenges that you face on your journey? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think one of them is, well, they're, they're related, but the name for one of them is the imposter syndrome. And I'm sure on a podcast like yours, Jerome, where you talk about people chasing and, and catching their dreams, you know, a lot of people say, I just don't feel that that's real or that I'm good enough. And that imposter syndrome sneaks in. And I've certainly had that. It's like, I, along my career, I tell the story in one of the books of I did a workshop with nine of the leading cardiologists around the world. And I was in the room and I said, who am I to be, you know, moderating this meeting with the nine leading cardiologists from around the world? And, and it just gives you that sinking feeling for a moment. But then five minutes in, 10 minutes in, you go, okay. You know, I'll use the word worthy. You know, I'm, I'm worthy. I've got the cred to be able to lead this workshop. So I, I guess the imposter syndrome is one. The other is, you know, procrastination that would come from a perfection, a focus on I just don't, I'm not ready to publish or I'm not ready to put that out or no, it's not quite done because you want it to be perfect. Well, there is no perfect and you could work on it all day long. Uh, I recently reread the biography of Leonardo da Vinci. You know, it's it's 400 pages or something. So that was another one of those books. It's like, this is going to take a while. But even Leonardo da Vinci, I, I really never knew this about him. But, you know, he's all famous for the uh, Last Supper painting and for the Mona Lisa. But he had so many unfinished paintings that when he died, these paintings were like leaning up against a wall in his studio. And you think if Leonardo da Vinci left that much work undone because he wanted it to be perfect, well then who am I 
Yeah, <laughs> to say my work it needs to be perfect to get out there. And so, so many people, you know, including his benefactors, people that paid him to do this, these paintings didn't get their work done because he wanted it to be perfect. So I think we have a lesson to learn that, you know, we don't have to be perfect to get our work out there and our work is good enough and people will see it, you know, as what we can do. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. How did you overcome the imposter syndrome and the desire for your work to be perfect? Because those are two things that I think a lot of people struggle with. So what was your trick for getting through it? I, I bet when it's happening, I think that I could have relied on my ego, you know, and just said, oh, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm the greatest. Well, it's like, no, that's, that's not the way I probably got through it, really. You know, I think it's really more the opposite. I, I think I found I, I humbled myself more. And said, I, I'm just lucky to be here. I'm just lucky to have this. You know, I'm really fortunate that the clients trust me in this regard. Uh, they wouldn't have hired me or they wouldn't be paying me or they wouldn't have flown me all the way over here to do this job if they didn't think I could do it. So it was really the opposite of my ego thinking I'm the greatest. It's really other people are counting on you. And so, you know, you need to come through for them. And that's, I think, probably what pushed me through. Yeah, I suspect the people who pay Leonardo da Vinci to do art that didn't get finished artwork yeah. are not very happy. They're not happy campers. <laughs> and it was funny because some of it was like uh, work he didn't want to take. You know, it's like somebody wanted a portrait of their, you know, aunt or something to hang in their lobby or their big mansion. And uh, he was like, I, I don't really do portraits. And it's like, what are you talking about? You don't do portraits. You did Mona Lisa. And uh, it's like, well, okay. You know, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> Everything has a price, right? There you go. Okay. So, all right, Mark, this is a good question. I think at least a lot of people say so. What was your worst fear in the process and how did you break through it? I tell you the worst fear Really, and you're bringing it up, even asking me the question. I just felt the same little butterfly in my stomach. Yeah, it is the fear of being judged and uh, that somebody would say, I can't believe you said that, you know, or I can't believe you think that this was the way it happened or, you know, whatever it was, or you're claiming too much credit, you know, for the success of some campaign or some creative initiative. So that that's a tough one that, you know, you're under the microscope and, you know, as a writer, I, I couldn't be more anonymous, really. Nobody really ever knows really the insight of the person, you know, writing this book. But for people who did know me, I, I might've been afraid to be judged. Okay. So how'd you get over it? Not sure I have got over it. <laughs> I mean, you put your, yes, you put, but you do put yourself out there and maybe that's what it is. It's like, okay, what, here it is. I would often ask what's the worst that could happen. 
Okay. So let's say somebody who's probably an antagonist for you anyway, somebody, you know, who's a, a foe, not an enemy, but a competitor. What if they do judge you? And what if they say, ah, look at this book. Oh, this is so silly. Or, oh, he self-published that book. That was another thing I, I kept thinking about. People go, oh, well, I got a, a contract with a big publishing company. You did this book yourself. Well, I've had plenty of people say, I, I think the fact that you did the book yourself is as big of an achievement as getting some publisher to do all the work for you. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting balance. But I, I think the way I got over it is thinking about what's the worst that could happen. And I don't mean go all you know negative and dark and you know worst case scenario. But I, I thought, are they really gonna? Is it really gonna hurt you? You know, is it is it really personal to you? And it wasn't. So I was able to to get around that obstacle. I love your transparency with that. <laughs> because I think we make ourselves such a big deal, and majority of the time we aren't. Like, you know, I don't know. Okay. So, well, and, and my uh, late mother-in-law always had a phrase. Well, she, she said it two different ways. But for one is, do you really think people are spending their day, you know, thinking about what you're doing all, all day? It's like, no, they're not. But she always said, and if they are, then it's giving somebody else a break because they're not thinking about them. <laughs> So I always thought that was good as far as, you know, the judging factor. Without question. Without question. And so I don't know if you'll have an answer for this one, but I'm going to try it. Was there a point when everything was on the line in this process? Did you have some rock bottom moment? Well, you know, not in the, the book publishing per se, but, you know, my introduction, I told you I'd started my own company twice. And it's, it's taken a long time for me to really reconcile and be able to tell the story of, you know, uh, during the, uh, the recession of 2008 and into 2009, uh, the, the pressures of being a small independent company were, were tremendous. You know, the, the commitments, uh, the people that needed to be paid, the landlords that needed to be paid, the clients who still wanted the work, even though their budgets were cut in half. And the larger companies, you know, sort of, I'll, I'll say, stealing our business, literally taking our business out from under us uh, by saying we're a bigger company and we can do it for cheaper and so forth and so on. So there were, there were a lot of uh, bitter moments and difficult moments that I had to face. You know, the bank is calling. They need their loan payment. Uh, the landlord is calling. They need their rent payment. And I would just be looking. It's like, hey, it's, it's not there. And it sounds all storybook, like when the, you know, mean old landlord comes to get the rent from the poor farmer, but it's, it's a gut-wrenching moment. And uh, so working our way out of that creatively, and that would be a, a whole day of a podcast <laughs> talking about how we had to navigate those waters. But, you know, I was able to team up with people who wanted to get together and be partners, and I was able to uh, consolidate my business with another company. But yeah, there were a lot of difficult moments. In fact, uh, sleepless nights, literally. And I never, I hear people use that term sleepless night. And I thought, well, you know, we've all had trouble going to sleep and tossing and turning. But I'm talking about when you don't sleep for a week, you know, it, it truly messes with your mind and body. And that's what I was going through at the time. And so I, I look back and I'm very grateful 
that uh, I was able to get through that. I think we all are because it's giving you the opportunity to share with us. And I think there is some wisdom that comes from the struggle, the challenge, the turmoil and turbulence on the journey. You learn how to fly in stormy weather and you can help people go through that. And you can also see other people who are in it who might not be willing to say anything and offer them a helping hand because you can see it, right? Boy, I tell you, Jerome, you have just brought up something very important that I left out of the story. And that is, I tried to do it alone for months. What a mistake. I didn't want anybody to see that there was a, you know, hole in the boat and that we were going down. It's like, hey, I think everyone knows. So you might as well be up front, (laughs) you know, and you're not alone. And, you know, so I think about that, what you said, because uh, I think about earlier, even this year, uh, here we are, you know, it's 2020 was a tough year. And back in January, I saw some businesses saying, oh, we're going to grow, we're going to invest. And I thought, you know, take it slow, because I'm not trying to be negative, Nelly. But, you know, you don't want to overextend yourself, because anything could come up. So be a little bit more prudent. Because when I wasn't prudent, you know, you bit off more than you can chew. And then it comes back to bite you. And so that kind of counsel helped a couple of companies I was working with not get overextended because when March came uh, and things started contracting, uh, there wasn't enough government loans and stimulus money to cover what could have been. So, uh, Beautiful. Beautiful. So, Mark, what's been your reward for going on this arduous journey? I mean, six months working on one project is pretty tough, but the five years prior to that is something completely different. And there's a lot of wrestling with yourself and you had to grow into the person who can manifest the book. So uh, what's been the reward for all of this work? Well, I think uh, I have had a chance. Well, we'll talk about the personal rewards uh, first. And that is I've had a chance to meet so many great people. As soon as I put in a book that I wanted to talk about creativity and put models and learn from others, you know, what their experiences were, I've been able to attract a circle of friends. I've been to interview more creative people. You know, just in the last week, I've interviewed authors of, you know, best-selling books, uh, publishers who've put out 200 other books for other authors. So just this circle and network of friends and and like-minded creative individuals has really lifted me up. You know, I'm a better person because of all the other people I know now. Um, So it's really inspiring to do that. I guess on a, you know, a reward level, uh, I've been able to create a, a business and work uh, model and mindset where I just I, I am doing the work I love to do. And uh, yes, I, I put in my dues. You know, people say you got to pay your dues. Well, I paid my dues. You know, I worked the long hours and the late nights and in jobs maybe you didn't like and, and with people you didn't like and so forth. But now I'm working with people I love doing the work I love. And that is the ultimate reward for me. Freedom to do the work that you're placed here to do. There you go. Freedom is a great word, Jerome. Freedom is a great word. I think everybody's searching for that. And Mm -hmm. most people have this stuff that they're passionate about and they don't know how to monetize it. And so they go do the thing for money and then try to do the thing they love in their free time. 
Mm-hmm. And depending on what the thing that they do for money requires of them, they aren't able to actually put the effort and make the impact that they would really be able to if they could focus on the thing that they really love doing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I had uh, one guy tell me recently that, you know, everyone should have a passion project. And, you know, some people call it a side hustle. Okay, that's to make money. If you want to drive Uber to make money, that's a side hustle. But I'm talking about a passion project. So you might be working nine to five or nine to nine, you know, to make money. You're still working for the man, but at least you're making money. But if you have this passion project on the side, and maybe it's furniture making, maybe it's painting, maybe it's skydiving, what, whatever that passion is, but that's what would get the heart stirring. And someday that would lead to that freedom that we're talking about, rather than just giving it up and putting it away forever. Ooh-wee. I hope you guys love what Mark's putting down right there. <laughs> it's the key to happiness. Everybody's trying to figure out how to be happy. It's worthy, worthy progress on a, a pursuit that you think is actually worth pursuing. Like, yes, yes. That's the key. And if you don't get anything else from this one, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. So put the highlighter on it. <laughs> let me let's go down this path. I, I think this will be interesting to discuss a little bit. So What's the biggest difference in your approach today in life than prior to going on this journey? You know, um, I would say early in my career, gosh, and I don't, I don't even know how long it lasted, but, but the uh, fear of cold calling, you know, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call somebody I don't know and ask them for something or talk to them about something. And that was a really tough thing to get over. And especially in the creative business I was in, if you're not making the phone calls, you know, no, I'm not saying I was uh, working the phone banks, but you know, it's not a call center operation I was talking about, but I'm just saying reaching out and making true business connections. And some of that was that fear we were talking about. And some of that was that imposter, you know, who am I to talk to the CEO of a big pharmaceutical company or something. But um, over time, I realized that you know, people are people. They want to talk as much as you want to talk to them. And if if you made it about a true connection rather than a sales call, you know, rather than I want you to buy something from me, and you know, you've got to really reach out and talk to them about what they want to talk about. But that would be the biggest shift. And I'm not saying now I'm, I, I would be great, you know, as a cold call salesman kind of guy. But now I do feel like, hey, if I want to call a, uh, you know, somebody at a high level of a company or if I want to call a best-selling author or if I want to call a TV personality, ask them to do a book with me or come on my podcast or what have you, I, I wouldn't be near as afraid to do that. And, you know, Jerome, you made me connect two dots here. And I think maybe it's the freedom to do what I love that allows me. <laughs> I caught you nodding and smiling as I said it. And you were just about to tell me. So I thought I would sound smarter and tell you. <laughs> you are smarter. You made the connection, right? No, but you, you were going right there with me. It's like when you have that freedom, then it's like, hey, what the heck? I'm free to be. It makes all the difference in the world, Mark. 
It does. It does. All the difference in the world. So we're winding down and we, we go to gratitude before we wind down. So Mark, what are you most grateful for? You know, I, I'm grateful that I was allowed to be in the positions that I was, you know, and people say right place, right time. I, I think it's so much more than that for me. Uh, I was in the right place at the right time, for sure. I don't really consider that luck, though. I think I had a lot of great teachers. Uh, and when I say teachers, it's like, yes, I mean, high, high school teachers, college professors that gave me the right information and put me in the right place. You know, bosses who trusted me and put me on the right accounts with the right clients, you know, and bosses who put me on the right teams and said, I think you team up pretty well with this uh, person. You know, even in sports, you think about people who are, you know, the quarterbacks with the right receivers, you know, that kind of a analogy. So I was put on the right teams. But I, I got to say, most of all, you know, to be with the right clients who say, uh, we really value these kind of creative models and we value what we do with you. And ultimately, they're my friends. You know, I, I've stayed at their houses. I've gone on vacations. You know, we, we can go out to lunch and talk about something other than business. Uh, some of them have retired and we've stayed connected about things other than, than business. And that's really rewarding. It's super rewarding to work with people that you want to work with who are high performers in their own right. There's, there's no there's no substitute for that. I think a lot of people are in these huge organizations and they work with a bunch of people who they just don't enjoy, but they go there because they get paid whatever and they say, oh, well, it's part of me getting the comp that I get instead of maybe getting a little bit less money, but enjoying their experience a whole lot more. And you think, how could people do that? Take less money. It's like, trust me, when, when you've been paid a lot to work in a awful environment and get tortured <laughs> every day, you'll say, you know, cut my pay, please. But I got to go. I got to go. You know, and I'm so glad you brought up just the word gratitude. I think one of the shifts I've made too over time, Jerome, and there's books written on this for sure, but I often saw gratitude almost transactional. Like if I thank them, they'll thank me back. Or if I show them appreciation, you know, I'll send them uh, roses because they were awesome. And then they'll tell me how awesome I was and whatever. And as soon as I, I started getting over that, it's like, hey, I really mean thank you. And I don't just mean gratitude. Like, hey, thanks for holding the door for me. I mean, thank you. You know, it, uh, it took it to a whole nother level. Yeah, it's that. And when you say, Hey, Mark, how are you doing? And it's not a platitude. Like, you really want to know, like, no, like, tell me what's going on. You okay? Like, is there something I can do to help? Like, even that, people say that all the time. They don't actually mean it. No, they do not mean it. <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> and so when we can no, but you're right. I mean, we talk about going into a meeting and saying, you know, we need to check in. How are you doing? And I've heard so many stories in this quarantine, work at home, pandemic, work remotely, you know, that you've got to check in with people, you know, because you don't know. Uh, all we're seeing is this little Zoom frame like you and I are looking at here, and we don't know what's going on outside uh, this frame. It's like, how are you doing? Uh, it's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, man. Okay, so... We're down to the final 
three questions. <laughs> the first one, what dream are you most focused on catching next? Well, uh, my next dream, and, and this just is top of mind for me, is uh, I really itching now more than ever to travel. And so even if it's 2022, uh, I have kind of a European, I guess, author trip I'd like to take, you know, walk the roads in Ireland and see where some of the great poets uh, lived, uh, go to Stratford-on-Avon and see where Shakespeare worked, you know, go to London. Uh, I've been to some of these places as a tourist, but not spent more than a, you know, a day at each of them. And so I'd really like to now with a different mindset, go to these places and see where these true creative artists lived and worked. That's cool. You know, the craziest part is about a week and a half ago, I had a dream about interviewing somebody who said they wanted to do that. Well, this is absolutely amazing. That's right. I think uh, dreams come true, my man. <laughs> There's no question about it. Second of the three, what gift are you giving the world? You know, having said everything I did about creative models and books and all that, I really hope anyway, my, my desire is to give the world a smile, you know, and some positive energy that, and I'm not saying this with ego, I'm just saying if I can walk into a room, meet somebody at a coffee shop and bring some light, some levity, some break, you know, in their world. That's that I would be on purpose. Well, you've certainly done that today. And I think everybody who listens to this episode is going to feel the exact same way, Mark. So you're definitely on mission and you're definitely spreading that light and giving that gift. So i super grateful that you were able to share with us today on the Dreamcatchers podcast. And that rolls me into the final question. What's the one thing you want people to take away from this conversation? I think to say uh, that you are creative, that you have your own original ideas and that you should embrace those ideas. And then just as you asked me, share it with the world. If you have a creative idea, it's great that you have it. But if you're just playing the piano in your living room and nobody's listening, that's a great gift to you. But if you could play the piano and let other people hear it and hear your song, even better. So, uh, Get your ideas out into the world, but let the world see your creativity. That's beautiful, Mark. And, you know, people who say, oh, well, I can't do it. It's not perfect yet. I'm not ready for prime time. You can iterate, right? Share, release, release, modify, keep going through the process, man. That is such great wisdom for the listener. So thank you so much. And thank you for being so generous with your time today. I, I really, really appreciate it. Jerome, such a pleasure. It's a great program that you've got here. And uh, thanks for sharing your own creativity. Man, Mark, that means a ton coming from you. Hey, guys, that's a wrap. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>